dropping a beat this series. All right. Hey, um, so anybody watching the Olympics? This uh, starts this Friday, I believe. Anybody? Nobody? I don't know. So uh, I guys haven't been keeping up with it that much. But when it comes to Olympics, think about athletics. Here's the deal. So heart champion, right? What, what, is it, what does it take to get that far? Uh, obviously, athletic ability, skill set, no doubt. But millions of people have some athletic ability, but only a few make it to that level of competition, right? We call it sometimes the heart of a champion, right? That indefinable quality, the heart of a champion. What does it take to get up off the mat day after day after day to put time in, to keep going, even when it's difficult, even when you're not the great, whatever, like just to keep going, the heart of the champion. It's kind of one of those things that you know it when you see it, it's hard to define sometimes. Well, that's kind of what we're talking about today a little bit. Remember Carrie Struggs, 1996, the Olympics? One of those little gymnasts. I, I, I say a little bit. I mean, I feel like all gymnasts are kind of small. But I mean, it's this like, Carrie Strug, 1996, right? She goes off the vault. It's the, magnific- the, the seven, the magnificent, right? We're girls team that was going to beat Russia finally. And the Olympics get a gold medal. She does the first vault and like lands awkwardly, twists her ankle, leg, whatever, rips it apart, you know? And <laughs> she's walking like hobbling around, pain all in her face. What's going to happen? happen. Ah, our hopes for the Olympic gold are gone. And then she gets up to the vault for the second jump and she nails it. Like, and everybody, whoa, it's crazy, right? That was awesome. It was amazing, right? And we win. You know, America wins the gold for the first time in the team competition. Then go old school, way back to the 36 Olympics. Jesse Owens, American, black, in Nazi Berlin, Germany, right in front of Hitler. <laughs> Talk about it in your face. It's awesome opportunity, right? But think about it. All the non-athletic stuff that Jesse had to put up with. I mean, threats from Berlin, but even from back home, just because of the color of his skin. But with dignity, with grace, he wasn't supposed to win. He wins four gold medals. Like, it's not just athletic talent. There's lots of people that have that, but there's only a few who are willing to really continue to get up every day to practice, even when it gets difficult, when you get knocked down. This letter, 2 Corinthians, there's these three chapters, or 4 through 7, in particular 4, what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles or Bible apps, I'd really love you to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's where we're going to start. It's Grecian Peninsula, the city of Corinth that Paul is writing this to, and so they're very aware of the ancient Olympic Games, but Paul's not talking about athletic competitions. He's talking about something much greater, much more important than being successful in athletic competitions. I know some of you already are like, what? Wait, you're, you're saying there's something more important than sports? <laughs> I know, right? That's crazy, but some of us need to hear that sometimes. There's something more important than sports. And Paul says, how are you finishing this race called life? <laughs> and as a Christian, how are you finishing this race called faith? How are we finishing faith? Because our finish line isn't now. Our finish line is death. It's heaven. That's our finish line. Are we faithful to the point of death? And oftentimes, especially in our culture, it seems like in our world today, there's so many people abandoning or walking away or quitting or however you want to phrase it from Christian faith. Maybe some of us are about ready to tap out, to give up, to say, I don't know about this anymore. Because what I thought I was signing up for, this ain't it. I thought my life was going to be different. I thought people would treat me differently, respond differently. This is not what I anticipated. Look at all the people around me. They're fake Christians. They're this. They're abandoning their faith. And so I'm tapping out. Maybe that's where some of us are. The good news is this. Paul says don't lose heart twice in this one chapter. Think about that. Why would he say don't lose heart? 
because there are people who possibly were losing heart. So maybe we're not alone. So if you feel like you're losing heart or about ready to quit, you're not the only one. So Paul's speaking to every single one of us because I know I felt like quitting before. There's a moment, there are lots of moments in my life, think about quitting all kinds of things. You know, maybe, maybe you're a kid or something, you're like a parent, sometimes we think about when your kids sign up for a sports activity and two practices in, you're like, I'm done. <laughs> Tap out, I'm done, this is horrible, I hate it. Well, no, just give it one more week, right? You know, give it one more week. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm thinking about life, right? Big stuff. I was, no, I'm a Christian faith. I don't know. I was ready because I, I know my life. You know your life. You know what you've done in those moments in your life. And you know the pain that you're causing in your life and the people's, people's lives around you. And I was ready to say, I'm done. I'm just going to go with my friends, go to public university and just, I don't know, drink with them and just die and go to hell kind of thing, right? Because I don't know if there's anything, I don't know if I can do anything different in my life. Just quitting, giving up. Wouldn't be the father of my kids, wouldn't be the husband of my wife. And sometimes we abandon for what seems so overwhelming, the, the amazing things, if we could just hold on. How do we become resilient, not resentful? Paul's got something for every single one of us. God's got something for every single one of us because every single one of us struggles with this. Chapter four, verse one, that's where we jump in. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. One thing, just real quick. How does Paul have this ministry? What does it say? By the mercy of God. Paul knows his past. Paul knows who he is. And yet he has a ministry. And how does he have that ministry? By the mercy of God. The mercy of God is amazing because the mercy of God has compassion, allows us, people like you and I, to have ministry, to be in ministry. And understand this, their, their ministry specifically he's speaking of is their ministry to represent Jesus Christ as apostles in his name and authority to do miracles, signs and wonders, preach the gospel. But for us, every single one of us is called to be a minister as well. The Greek word simply means service, servant, to serve. All of us are called to serve Jesus Christ, his mission. All of us are equipped by the Holy Spirit to serve in some form or fashion. Scary thing is whether you realize this or not, you are, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you are the hands and feet and the voice of Jesus Christ in this world. So what are you showing? What are we representing? That's why this is one of the reasons why this is so important. Our big idea is keep serving the Lord in spite of rejection and oppression. Don't quit. Don't tap out because there's more than meets the eye. There's more than the temporary things that we are going through. This is bigger than that. He goes on verse two, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. This is gonna relate, right? So 2,000 years ago, believe it or not, there were false teachers. There were people that cared more about fame, popularity, profit than truth. Nothing's changed, that hasn't, in 2,000 years. There are still people who want a following, who want power, who want people, who want fame, and are willing to bend and manipulate and twist the truth for personal gain. I hope that you're able to discover and know where you see false teachers in your life. How can you do that? By knowing God's word and comparing it with God's word, holding it against God's word. 
Is it being faithful to God's word or is it saying what my itching ears want to hear? Because, oh, trust me, I want to hear things. <laughs> I don't always like what the Bible tells me, what God's word tells me. Are we faithful to God's word? Paul says, listen, I know this is happening in the world around you. I know that there are false teachers and teachers doing this. I know that people who are abandoning, and you can look around you and see people that are abandoning in Christian faith that are twisting and manipulating God's word to make it sound so appealing and so good. But he said, not so with you. If you're a Buzz Lightyear fan, I just think of not, not today, Zerg. <laughs> I don't know, but not with you, not today. And look around. I mean, isn't this what we see? A lot of people abandoning Christian faith, however we're going to call it, deconstructing my faith, all of these things that there's a struggle. And why do all of these struggles typically exist? Oftentimes because I see other people and I see that they're not really they're not faithful. They were hypocrites. There are hypocrites in the world, and we see people pretending to be Christians, or maybe they believe they're Christians, but they're not living any Christian values whatsoever. They're twisting the truth. They're abusing that and abusing people with their power, with the positions that they have. And so people see this, and their response to it is, I'm done. I'm out. I'm done. I don't want anything to do with that. Neither do I, and neither did Paul. Paul didn't want to have anything to do with that, and that's why he said, listen, there's only one thing you can control, and that's yourself. I can't control what other people are going to do with God's word. I can't control what other people are going to do with what God has given to them, but I can control what happens with this guy. Not so with you, Mark. Not so with you, South Point. Not so with you. Insert your word there. Will you be faithful to being obedient to God's word and not twisting it and manipulating it for your own personal gain or to make me feel good or to make others around me feel good? Paul says the only way to do that is to be very open and transparent about God's word with all of God's word, not just with parts of it, but with all of God's word. Not so with us. Will we be faithful to God's word? If you want to be resilient, not resentful, then we're going to have to know God's word and be faithful to God's word and be obedient to God's word and not twist it or manipulate it. Verse three and four, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul talked about this the last couple of weeks, this idea that those who have rejected Jesus Christ as, our, as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah, then there's a veil. Whether you realize it or not, there's a veil over your hearts and, 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 and heads, like minds, and you're not fully able to see the glory of Christ in Scripture, so you don't understand the full revelation of God. Those are the ones he's referring to that are perishing in their unbelief and sin. And who's blinding them? This is important. Who is blinding them? Who's controlling and manipulating oftentimes? Little g, God, Satan. It's crazy to think of God, I mean, Satan as a God, right? Little g, remember, little g. He says the blind, the God of this world. He's not the God of this earth. He's the, he's the God of this world. He's not the, the big omnis, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient. He doesn't know all, can't be all places. He's not a God. He's not God, but he's a little g, God of not this earth, but this world. That means this system of sin that those who reject Christ are, are rebelling against God that are a part of. He has no authority other than the authority that you give him by rejecting Jesus and rejecting God's word and say, I'm, I'm under your dominion, whether we realize it or not. If we've said no to God, then we are following the God of this world, this temporary age in which we live until Christ comes back to usher in his eternal kingdom. Who are we following? More personally, whom are you following? 
A question that you can ask, I think, to help you is are you confidently obeying God's word in Scripture or possibly the little G, God, Satan? This is a big time because it's so easy to say that I'm not, I'm not following Satan. I'm not worshiping Satan. But if I'm not trusting God, if I'm not trusting his word, then whom am I trusting? I'm trusting what I'm hearing, this man-made version of whatever, what I'm hearing today to make me feel good, what I like. There's a choice. We all have it. And it doesn't, I would never say I'm following the little g-god Satan, and yet demonic influences are real. You know one of the biggest ways they get is through deception and manipulation. False teachers that make it sound so good, but it's a man-made version of salvation. Just do this, just do that, and you can earn your way. You can do whatever. And then all of a sudden, what happened is this. It seems so good, but I'm in the dark. They don't want to bring everything to light because what Scripture really says is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and it's only through Jesus Christ that we can, our sins can be atoned for. So again, a question for us is, are we, being com- are we confidently obeying God's word? Are you offering the light of Jesus or your man-made twisted version? I don't like it when people are blunt with me sometimes. Sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't. Paul's pretty blunt. Hey, Mark, you can pretend, you can justify all you want, but if you're teaching people's Mark's gospel, that's dangerous. What about you? Are you representing your gospel, your version of the truth, or are you representing and sharing God's truth? That's important. If you want to be resilient, not resentful, then we've got to make sure we know who we're following. Verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Understand the order of things here. If you proclaim Jesus as your Lord, then you become a servant, which is what word? Minister. You serve. If I do not become, if I do not proclaim Jesus as my Lord and Savior, oftentimes, you know who we're serving? This guy. Not you're serving me, but you're serving yourself. You know how easy it is to wake up in the morning and think about yourself, isn't it? In every single argument and conversation, when anything bad happens, good happens, the first thing we typically do is think about ourselves. I know it's a struggle. When we proclaim Jesus as Lord, we no longer promote ourselves. We no longer want a following for ourselves. We proclaim Jesus. We point to Jesus. Let me ask you something. Do you consider yourself a servant <laughs> to that coworker at work who is such a jerk? Do you consider yourself a servant to that family member? <laughs> Don't want to name names or anything, but you know who I'm talking about. Do you consider yourself a servant to your neighbors, to the guy who gypped you in line, to the guy who cut you off on the interstate? Do you consider yourself a servant? Or do you expect people to serve you? Because oftentimes when troubles and trials and things come in our life, we thought, I thought, I was supposed to be served, not that I'm the servant. But when I proclaim Jesus as my Lord, I'm no longer the master, I'm the servant. Are you willing? Are we willing to say yes to him, knowing that? 
I think of those Rocky movies. I like the Rocky movies. I don't know about you, but I, I enjoyed them anyways. But like in every Rocky movie, he always is about to quit, right? And then something happens. And then oftentimes, Mickey, remember the coach, Mickey or whatever, the trainer, like, love Mickey, man. I can't do a Mickey voice, although I love to try. But every movie, it just seems like there's that scene where he says, get up, Rock, get up, because Mickey loves you. You know, he says, Mickey loves you. And he's like motivating. And like all of a sudden, people in the audience that, you know, would never... Rocky's not a crying movie. People are crying. It's emotional mess because, yeah, we've all been there. How do you become resilient and not resentful? Paul's got this amazing pep talk. I'm telling you, like, I think this is like one of the greatest halftime coach speeches ever in the history of the universe. I get it. It's going to sound like Shakespearean language or something. Like, your coach probably doesn't speak this way. But I promise you, put theme music behind it and start hearing this. It's, it'll jack you up, man. This is good stuff. This is like the greatest coach speech ever in the next like five verses. And it begins with verse six. He tells us the source of all of this. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I know you're like, oh. <laughs> that makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> and I'm so glad my coach never spoke like that at halftime. I get it. Trust me, this is, this is why I'm wearing this shirt today. Philomena in Romania means be the light, okay? So it's be the light. So we're supposed to be the light. And here's the deal. Let the light shine out of darkness because the light that's in you is supposed to be shining. There is an old kids' church song. I don't know if you ever grew up in kids' church. They sang this song, this little light of mine. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to sing because it's going to be really bad. But anyways, that song, right? And it had like a version where you're like, uh, don't let Satan it out, right? I'm going to let it shine. Um, uh, don't hide it. Hide it under a bushel. No, let it shine. Hide it. Let it shine until Jesus comes. Right? There's a bunch of verses. The point being, let it shine. Well, what are we letting shine? The light that is in you that Christ has placed in you, the Holy Spirit. We get this so confused so often. This is so important. It's something that God has placed in me that creates the light that's supposed to shine, not me, but the Holy Spirit. And trust me, this is not one of those like incandescent light bulbs or those candle light. This is like super LED halogen, whatever, I don't know, like crazy light bright. This is a, an intense light. So imagine Essek, your coach, Essek. It's not you, it's what's in you. You got what it takes. Imagine that. Paul, you got what it takes, not because of you, because you <laughs> might not be that much right now. And they may seem daunting and powerful, but what's in you is what needs to come out. He goes on and gives this great illustration, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Okay, there is, ever heard of Schroda, the Schroda treasure? Probably not. <laughs> 1985, I think, something like that, in a Polish town, Schroda, Alaska, something like that. They were demolishing some of these old homes, and there was this vase found underneath one of the foundations. Inside the vase, there were like these silver coins, lots of them. They were like dated back to the 14th century and worth millions. And this fragile, nasty, commonplace vase worth millions. What was inside? So imagine, that's this coach. That's God. That's Paul. What he's reminding us of. Listen, what's in you? It's not you. It's what's in you. Don't you feel fragile? Don't you feel breakable? Don't you feel it when people attack you? When your relationships disintegrate in front of you? When your career and things around you don't go the way you thought? You feel it. You feel breakable. You feel fragile. Of course you do because you are. We are. And so many times we think we're supposed to believe we're not. 
that I'm strong enough, I'm big enough, I can become good enough to over, no you can't. The truth is I'm a fragile, commonplace vase that's gonna die, that's gonna break. But what God said the truth is, as I didn't sighed, is this gift, this treasure of salvation, the gospel. Think of all of those moments when Jesus uses parables and stories and he talks about salvation being that pearl of great price or that treasure that was worth some human. He sold every single thing that he had for this one treasure and it was a good decision. That's the gospel. That's salvation. Do you believe that the gospel is that great of a treasure? That salvation is that great of a treasure? And if I don't recognize the greatness of the treasure, then I think the treasure becomes commonplace and I lift up the vase. And isn't that what we struggle with today? We get so confused because we think we're supposed to lift up us. Like I need to be, I'm gonna exercise, I'm gonna be in shape, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna get better, I need to, I need to be stronger, I, 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 and we lift up this and we make the treasure commonplace. Instead of making the treasure, the treasure, and recognizing that this, this ain't that important. And I don't mean just physically, like my appearance, things like that, although that's true as well. I just mean me. Stop lifting me up, because I'm not the, that great of a treasure. It's what I've been given that is the greatest treasure. And don't worry, we're going to complete this next week because we talk about what that new body, that new treasure to come that we'll receive when Jesus comes back. But understand this, the coach, the halftime is saying, listen, Essek, <laughs> you are weak, you are tired, but this is when you've got to bring out that other stuff. Even though you're weak, even though you're tired, you're going to go back out there and you're going to work. So for us, here's what because of this truth, because of what's in me, because of the treasure of salvation of the gospel, listen what is true. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. We're gonna unpack that. But notice what he said. You are afflicted. You will be struck down. You will be persecuted. You will. Not a matter of maybe, but you will. But that's okay. You won't be crushed. You won't be in despair. Why? Because of the treasure that was in, not because of you, but because of the treasure. And this is Paul. Paul, man, had been beaten on multiple occasions, regularly imprisoned, uh, tortured. Like Paul was almost to death when they threw rocks at him, stoned him almost to death. And you would think, Paul, like, come on, you've done enough, bud. Like, you've put your time in. You're good. Like, tap out. Like, go. Paul's like, no. <laughs> I don't know why all this stuff has happened. I can't explain all of it exactly, but all I know is this, that I will never abandon the one who never abandoned me. And you can't destroy what is God's. He's God's. Understand that. He never took confidence in the frailness of himself. He allowed the frailness 
of that commonplace jar, that vase, to showcase the life. So when Paul says the death, well, death is at work in us, understand, every day we live life and bad things may happen, trials, tribulations, troubles, stress, whatever, things happen to us. So it feels like death. It feels painful. So Every day our bodies are facing death, but because of the treasure, we don't, we're, we're not crushed. Most people would be crushed. Most people would be in despair. Most people would experience this, or this is what you would think, and that doesn't happen. Why? Not because of the, the body. It's because of the life of Jesus, because of the gospel. And so death is at work in me, but life is at work in you because you see something different. That's what Paul says. You see something different. If we showcase the treasure. But if I become resentful and focus on the temporary, focus on the trouble, and not allow, not point to Jesus, then others just see what others see. But the very power is that we have the opportunity to share this life with others. So why do we persevere? Why do we, are we resilient? It's for the sake of others, so that life may be present in their life. And maybe one of the reasons why here in North America, the the gospel doesn't seem to be making too many inroads like it is in other places because today in this world, in places like communist China and Indonesia, places where radical Hindu and Islam are in power, Christians are literally persecuted, tortured, beaten, flogged, uh, thrown in prison, killed for their faith. It would be a lot different if somebody were up here preaching to you, talking to you, and they were sharing their scars with you, wouldn't it? Scars on their face where they were beaten with clubs because they said yes to Jesus mangled fingers and toes so they couldn't run, so they recant their faith, you'd probably look at that person and think very different things, wouldn't you? You'd be amazed at the strength and the faith that they have. And what are our scars here in America? And listen, I'm not trying to diminish or make little of the things that we go through, but that's not our scars. That's not our scars. Paul's honest with us. God's honest with you. We live in a world full of sin, so you're going to suffer pain. Not because God wants you to suffer pain, but because of our choices. We live in a sinful world. He has a promise for you that far exceeds what you experience here, and he goes on to say this, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all, it is all for your sake. So that the, as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Richard Warmbrun was a guy in Romania that was a pastor and thrown in those communism prison camps, tortured for the majority of his life. And yet there's still ministry that continues thousands and hundreds of thousands of people. Actually, they support the persecuted church all over the world. It is for the sake of others. And it's because he believed that he lived. It's because he believed that he acted. Belief comes before action. What do you believe? And I think some of us sometimes don't speak because we're not confident. We don't believe that at the end of our time here on this earth, you're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. Sometimes we don't speak because we don't believe in the supremacy of Christ. We forget. We get focused on the temporary, on ourselves. So we lose courage. 
because it begins to be about me, not about you. And when it begins to be about me, I'm very much more self-preserving. And I ball up, right? But when it's about you, I'm more freely giving. So what kind of lives are we living? Do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and you will be raised from the dead? They killed Jesus but couldn't keep a good man down. What's going to happen with you? If we believe that I'm going to live forever, that changes things. Once again, our big idea, keep serving the Lord in spite of rejection and oppression. What do you believe? Are you confidently obeying God's word, Scripture? Or possibly realizing that maybe I'm following the little G, God, Satan. Can silence me, censor me, reject me. But Paul goes on, he says, listen, we do not lose heart. There's that second time he says it again. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Get it? What are you focusing on? Light and momentary affliction. Is that how you would describe what you're going through? The relationship, the career, the financial crisis? Light and momentary? I bet not. I know for me, I always, I, light and momentary aren't usually the words that sometimes I begin to describe my struggles with. Overwhelming, overbearing, debilitating paralyzes. I feel like death is never going to end. It's the biggest thing ever. It's the worst thing ever. Can't imagine, right? Paul went through a lot. I don't know if any of us can, I don't think we want to play the compare games with what Paul went through as opposed to what we went through. And he says they're light and momentary. Light and momentary. If we want to be resilient and not resentful, we have to begin to see things as light and momentary. How do we see things as light and momentary? Imagine if you got a job, you worked for a day, and it was miserable, right? Just a miserable job, miserable conditions. Everybody was just jerks, blah, 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 and you got paid a dollar, right? (laughs) At the end of this day, working with this jerk in a miserable condition and occasion, I'm going to get paid a dollar. I bet you'd be complaining a lot. Man, this day is lasting forever. This is horrible. But what if you got paid a million dollars for that same job? One day of work, I could probably put up with that guy for a day. (laughs) All of a sudden, right? Well, it's rough, but million bucks. It's like, what would you do for a Klondike bar kind of thing? Or like back in the day, would you rather? You start playing these games in your mind. Oh, for a million bucks, man. I'll put up with it. Where's the focus? On, on, On the future. Either way, it's on the future. So what you believe about the future determines how you see the present. (laughs) So what do you believe? What do you see in the future? Where are your eyes focused? Are they focused on the light and momentary, on the seems like forever non-ending troubles? Or are they focused on the promise, the thing that is to come, the promise of the next life, eternal life? That's how we stay on task. That's how we begin to be resilient, not resentful. Next week, we're going to continue in chapter 5 where Paul talks about this new body that we're going to get and how we aren't afraid of death. Not that we want it necessarily, but we're not afraid of it. And this is important because we get confused with this as well. So I encourage you to come back and make sure we finish up this, this kind of s- session right here. But are you ready for what awaits? 
I mean, that's at the end of the day today, two questions. One, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, are you being obedient? But if you're not, then are you ready for what awaits? Like if your life were to end today, listen, we can, our physical, hopefully you're healthy and things like that, but this, this body is frail and it's going, to, it's going to die. It's going to fade away. It's just not, no matter what you do, it's going to happen. And we don't have to be afraid of it. We can be ready for it. And you could be mad at God or Paul for being blunt and tell you that, hey, life is going to be difficult at times, or you can be very appreciative of letting, letting, him know, letting you know that what's going to happen. And I appreciate when a coach tells me it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be difficult. Hey, this is what's going to happen, so be ready for it. Do you want to be prepared, or do you want to pretend? I much rather would be prepared. Moms and dads in the room and listening, I would much rather you be prepared than pretend. Kids, spouses, I'd much rather you be prepared than pretend like everything's going to be okay. God doesn't want you to pretend. He wants you to be prepared. Are you ready for what awaits? If God were to come back today, if you're not or if you would like to say yes to Jesus for the first time to repent, to say, I know what I've done and I'm beginning to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I want to repent, say I'm sorry, whatever that means, and I want to say yes to Jesus and trust Him, then please text us, email us your name, no matter where you are, go ahead and do that right now or at the end of the service, we're going to have some people up front here if you're in person, you can come talk to them, one of them. We'd love to have a conversation. We hope you take the next step in your faith or be ready for your baptism. Say yes to Jesus, forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. We want you to be prepared. No longer pretend. I want to finish with maybe one last little illustration or story. A guy named Bob Russell, a minister, kind of told this before. I think it was 1952, Florence Chadwick, July 4th, 1952. She wanted to swim 21 miles from that Catalina Island, Island to California. Why, you ask? I don't know. You have to ask her, but I don't think she's around anymore. It's crazy. Who would want to swim 21 miles? I don't know. She did. No woman had ever done it before, so she wanted to be the first, and so she, she goes for it. Literally, her mom, I think, and some other people were in the boat to encourage her as she was swimming her trainer. And then there was a boat of people beside her with guns ready to shoot the sharks if they ca- in case they came to eat her. No joke. Like, who would want to do this? Anyways, Florence Chadwick, she's swimming half a mile from the shore, half a mile from where she was going to be. 21 miles, half a mile away, she quits. They bring her out of the boat. It's not because she's cold, not because she is tired. She said, I just could not see the shore. I just could not see the shore. Three months later, when the weather was good, sun was out, she goes and does it. She does it in two hours less than anyone has ever done it because she could see the shore. Hope you can see the connection here. What are you looking at? I want you to be able to see the shore because the waters are going to get choppy. Whatever illustrations you want to use, you're Michigan people, you like your lakes, so you probably know water pretty well. Can't control the water. Might get choppy sometimes. But keep your eyes focused on where you want to end up. That's where God wants you to be prepared for. Moms and dads, your kids need someone that will demonstrate to them what faithfulness to Jesus Christ looks like. Teachers, politicians, wherever you are in the workforce, what your employees and people around you, what they need is to see someone who would be obedient to God's word no matter what. That's how life is transferred to others. As you die on a daily basis, life is transferred to others. Point to Jesus. That's what we can do, South Point. That's what Downriver needs. Will we have the heart of champions? Will we pick up every day where we left off? Whether we have millions following us or whether we have none, will we just wake up and be faithful day in, day out, be obedient to God's word? That's 
representing Jesus. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us. And I thank you for Jesus Christ who gave us even this option that we know about because of the gospel we can even have this conversation. There's two groups, I guess, of us right now. One that are thinking, I've never said yes to Jesus and maybe I'm beginning to realize I'm trusting something other than that might not get me where I want to go. And so I pray that if there's anyone thinking about saying yes to Jesus for the first time, then they would man, follow up with that. Communicate that to someone so they can take that next step. Place their faith in you. Repent, be baptized. If there's any believers, all the believers or Christians that are watching, I pray that maybe some of us would repent. Because if we're honest, I bet some of us haven't been really being obedient and we've been following our own man-made twisted version. Or maybe we've forgotten how amazing that treasure is and we've been lifting up this fragile jar clay. Encourage us, convict us to all walk out of here today, wherever we are, trusting and deciding to obey you and you alone. Whatever that looks like, to be resilient so that life can come to those around us. Let's fill up heaven from downriver, from wherever we are. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things, amen.